You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. I've literally got reminders in my house, in my office here, up by the coffee machine. It's that, you know, accepting that, you know, this is a mercurial condition. It's going to be up and it's going to be down and, you know, even asking myself the question on these notes, you know, are you in that? Are you in a cycle? Where are you at in the cycle? It's that, oh, right. It's that's that disruptor, that visual disruptor that's really powerful. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, before we get started, I'd love to share with you this review from a listener named M.E.J. Williams on the Apple Podcast platform. It's entitled, Grateful. I am so grateful to Katie and this podcast for helping me understand myself better. I am one of the tribe that has come late in the game, having been diagnosed at 42. It is so validating and illuminating to hear my story among others and to hear the experts Katie has on the show in order to more fully understand my neurodivergency. I also appreciate the humor and positivity Katie and her guests bring to the conversation. She helps normalize things that I have always felt ashamed of and tried to hide. It is so liberating. Thank you, Katie. Oh, wow. Thank you. This is really lovely. And gosh, I'm at a loss for words today, other than to say I am so touched to know that this little podcast has become a source of humor and light and validation for so many of you. Thank you to each and every one of you who have written reviews or emailed me or messaged me to share how much these interviews have helped you. I honestly don't think I'll ever be able to adequately express how much it means to me. Okay, here we are at episode 112, in which I interview Annie Romanos. Annie is an executive and business coach based in New Zealand. She was diagnosed with ADHD last year at the age of 49. And in true ADHD fashion, she quickly pivoted her business to work with ADHD entrepreneurs and executives to help them learn how to turn their ADHD brain wiring into their competitive advantage. Annie and I talk about some of the unique experiences of getting a late diagnosis as a Gen Xer. We also talk about the nagging feeling of underachievement and missed potential that so many of us experienced in life and some of the coaching strategies she uses with her clients. We also talk about energy management and productivity and making sure we are taking care of ourselves as we age. Enjoy. All right, Annie, thank you so much for joining me. 
it's such a pleasure. You know, I've been following you for a while. You've been unbelievably tenacious and committed to podcasting with ADHD. It's obviously a hyper focus of yours. That's a lot. That's a commitment. Yeah, I think it's the longest I've ever done anything. <laughs> and and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the subject matter, which I think grows and transforms with me in terms of, you know, the subject. But also, I mean, I just absolutely love hearing stories from women like you. And I feel like it's just I've learned so much. And I love the fact that other people are listening. Like, I, there's so many things that feed me in terms of the dopamine that I'm like, yeah, I don't know when this is going to end, but I'm still going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder about if you were doing just the you talking, you know, the monologue kind of podcasts, which are out there. I don't think I could do that. But, you know, that could be a hyper focus for someone that's still unique, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely knew very early on that that was not going to be the format for me. I was never going to have the uh, the ability to sit down and write podcast episodes ahead of time. And <laughs> so I was like, this is all it is. We interview and um, put it out there. So anyway, I'm, I'm super excited to hear your story. You were diagnosed about a year ago, correct? God, that's yeah, half over half my life um, before I, I got formally sort of um it was indicated to me that there was a situation going on in my head you know <laughs> yeah and I've got to say Katie because I, I reached out to you and I sort of gave you just a real real overview but it's been a hell of a time like and I I think I'm like quite a typical Gen Xer that's been diagnosed I say that because you know it's like the Gen X slash ADHD complex it's like where often for women particularly I'm specifically actually talking about women peri or perimenopause or menopause ADHD there's the pandemic there's often a, a, a time in our life where we're finishing our starter marriage or our second marriage or there's some big changes there we're often parenting teens we might be losing parents and then we've got professional lives you know in my case you know a business um and and then other things, right, you know, the Hashimoto's with the ADHD. There is just so much going on. I know that that's my picture, but I think that that's often an unrecognized by, you know, the individual and wider society of that particular time in life for those later in life diagnoses women with ADHD. It's not just the ADHD, it's the ADHD and. It's quite hard to tease out, I think, the ADHD from everything else, but I think certainly it's such a compounding factor so when I got diagnosed last year, it was a relief. I lost, I divorced two years prior. I lost both my parents in the, you know, lockdowns a year apart. The teens, the pandemic, the Hashimoto's, the business. And I do want to say that getting the diagnosis absolutely pushed me into sorting through it and having that coaching relationship, finding an ADHD coach. And that was probably the best thing I did in order to kind of bring everything together actually was to work with a coach, which I did. And, you know, obviously we were, you know, um, we were having conversations through the ADHD lens, but it was so, so useful to help me sort out just a lot of stuff, but come to terms with some of that, you know, executive functioning 
challenges that have been following me around forever, but it got worse, right? We know that stress and trauma impact that, you know, executive functioning capability, um, regardless of ADHD. That's, you know, trauma really challenges that, that our prefrontal cortex. And so it was really, really useful. So yeah, I'm forever thankful to that six months intensive I had with my ADHD coach. Yeah, I know, right? I feel like that's a thread throughout so many of my conversations, which is like, there's just so many variables. How do I even begin to understand uh, and realizing how important it is to understand and uncover the why, right? In terms of our brains. But I just want to backtrack a little, like, what were the, some of the first things that made you think this is ADHD? Yeah, I think I've got a quite a typical story. Um, I came to ADHD through my children. Okay. Um, my, my youngest child's um, teacher raised the possibility that he may have ADHD. And then it's funny. And then my older uh, son, who was um, 16 at the time, said, that he wondered if he might have ADHD. And then my daughter as well, all quite separate from each other. And so I thought, oh, I I probably should look into this. And so I did. And that was the, you know, scrolling through the symptoms and just going boom, boom, boom. And it's like, literally was creepy. It was like, whoa, that's just me. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a process to go through with children and diagnoses and pediatric, you know, kind of psychiatrists and the school and all that. So what I decided to do first, Katie, and the simplest thing was like, get my own diagnosis, which I did. And uh, the speed at which the psychiatrist um, diagnosed me was just unbelievable. I thought, God, is it that damn obvious? And then I joined um, a, a ADHD Facebook group for adults um, with ADHD in New Zealand and who should be in there too, my cousins from my father's side who have no idea. I'm like, hello, you know, open the messenger um, chat up and say, whoa. And all the stuff came out about ADHD and on my on the paternal side um, of my family and uh, my father just passed away and I, I have a really strong sense that he had ADHD himself. And so, yeah, and autism too on my father's side. So, my God, like last year was like after kind of, yeah, I think falling apart or, you know, feeling like life was falling apart with all these other things going on as well. It was really, really nice to put some pieces back together um, in terms of the, yeah, the, the ADHD side of things and, and really that's something I can control, right? Um, well, you know, more or less, um, certainly elements of it I can sort of start working on and improving on and so yeah it was it was it's been amazing incredible journey mm-hmm. yeah yeah it is um that's very beautifully put I I think I when I was first diagnosed I felt like I described it as being feeling like a phoenix where I it I had gotten to a point of so, being so low you know being having such a difficult time and really feeling like I had just was at my worst and and had kind of emotionally imploded and then this diagnosis just felt like I was rebuilding and my identity had shifted so dramatically and it just felt yeah it's so wonderful like it is so difficult to describe too because it's like you're telling people you have a diagnosis of a mental disorder <laughs> and yet at the same time you're like this is like the best thing that's ever happened to me and 
<laughs> it's like, well, right? Well, it is, and I definitely went through like singing, you know, from the rooftops about it. I ended up him getting a, um, uh, having a piece in, you know, one of the uh, magazines in New Zealand, the New Zealand Women's Weekly, which, you know, is not, not particularly highbrow, but, you know, it certainly got the circulation and it was a little bit like, it was quite scary, Katie. It's like, I'm coming out. I was quite nervous. But my God, I had so many people write to me and say, wow, just sharing their journey and, you know, just saying they're inspired and like, oh, I think this is me as well. And I think this is, again, speaks to this later in life diagnosis for women in particular. It's been very invisible, the inattentive AD, you know, ADHD, you know, a, a lifetime of it's worth suffering. But, you know, yeah, I guess it has been for many of us been really hard. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my therapist said it was like realizing you've been walking around with a brick tied around your ankle and sort of that feeling uh, very early on, you know, that feeling like I didn't even realize I had this brick. So it was sort of like there's so much grief realizing that the brick exists and that it's not necessarily going anywhere. But at the same time, such relief knowing that that's what it was. I feel like I, would, I have so many questions about this idea of this specific, you know, Gen X time in life, right? I have some theories about why so many of us are diagnosed beyond just the hormones. Um, but I, I'm curious for you, you know, what part of a diagnosis is looking back over your whole life with this new lens? What are some of the things that you look back on in earlier in life where you're just like, oh, the signs were clearly there all along? Yeah. I think, you know, the school reports, you know, not performing to her potential, distractibility, all those, so all those really cliche kind of, you know, experiences um, and messaging as well from others. And then, of course, that leading to, I'm thick, I'm stupid, and so I better go and do X, Y, Z to prove to the world I'm not. One of the things I always used to hear in my uh, family growing up was my mother saying, you know, there you go again. Actually, full names Anne Mary, uh, as it shortened it to Annie when I was a teenager, um, you know, rising up again. And so there's this, you know, I think that that was a really key kind of connector for me of this, you know, passionate, emotional sense of, you know, justice and fairness and, you know, always saying to my mum, don't be mean to dad. You know, I had a radar for that. And, yeah, I, I'd never seen it through the, the, the lens of ADHD, um, obviously previously, but I really do think that was a kind of key part of my my neurochemistry and that fed into my character, you know, and how I what I thought and how I behaved and, you know, how I saw the world, you know. Yeah, that sort of a, a rich emotional life and I feel things really deeply and I kind of just thought, doesn't everyone? I'd cry easily in movies and, and this is way before perimenopause, Katie, <laughs> can't just describe, you know, menopause or perimenopause to that. Always have been. Uh, so that emotionality and empathy, um, you know, so the, the ease, right, the energy plus that, you know, high emotions, a radar for people's emotions and, and all that sort of thing, which is why I guess, you know, I do what I do as well, which is part of why, you know, with the energy and the empathy, um, I think I'm cut out to be a coach more than say a therapist or the patients of a counsellor or a psychotherapist I think people do employ me for that that energy that I bring to the conversation and kind of you know the fire and making things happen and pushing people forward which you know coaching's about the future right creating the future and 
and movement and momentum as well as other things. But yeah. Yeah. You had a, something in one of your blog posts that was really poignant about underachievement when you were, a co- you know, as a, being a business, uh, you're, so you're an executive and business coach. You were before your diagnosis, which, you know, in hindsight, again, makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> and I want to talk about that too. But you had said something in a blog post that was so poignant where you said that you had, you were coaching these high performing clients who were becoming very successful and surpassing. You said, my high performing clients were surpassing me and I couldn't work out why there was something amiss, but nothing I could put my finger on. I was clearly limited and I felt a deep sense of shame. I thought that was just a beautiful way of describing that sense of confusion around potential and, and inability to meet our sense of potential, right? And that feeling of that, that chronic feeling of underachievement that so many of us have felt over our lives and being like, am I really just stupid? Like, (laughs) yeah. But so I imagine coaching executives that, that imposter syndrome, it's not even, I don't think it's imposter syndrome. What is it? Is it just like a, it's, it's like you said, it was like, I just can't figure it out. Right. That feeling like everybody got the manual, but me. Absolutely. You know, it's this, why can't I just do it? Why can't I just do it? Nike's the global slogan, just do it. Like, it actually doesn't apply to us. It's just don't do it. (laughs) It's not just do it. It's like, it's always been difficult for me in my coaching practice, coaching these incredible people, these high performers, these entrepreneurial spirits. Um, And then, you know, loving seeing what they create and just feel like my coach my clients are leaving me for dead what's wrong with me here I am able to facilitate you know or kind of you know support them in their you know extraordinary growth and and results and they're doing it I'm not doing it for them but it's like but what about me and certainly that fed the imposter beast absolutely fed the imposter beast so what am I doing and I think that was another really important um, part of the diagnosis for me that was like, ah, that's why, because I can't just do it. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because I literally can't unless the conditions are right. And I didn't know about that. And, you know, I think it, as a result, you know, I've changed my business model. I've changed the, the structure of my business. Um, I've got far more partnerships and collaborations and make sure I've got a VA and all that. Uh, and when I say to myself, I want to do something, I bring something one else into it. That's that accountability piece or even on my worst days using Focusmate. It's even remembering that Focusmate exists though, eh, Katie? I know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like sometimes I find myself and I go down the ADHD kind of, you know, the whole kind of spiral and I'm like, oh, that's right. Oh, this Focusmate, I can just, <laughs> I can just use Focusmate. And I think humor is really important. And I kind of laugh at the situation, laugh at ourselves and, you know, take ourselves lightly as well. And, and that we've got this, I think that's really important. But yeah, I think that that was, that was a major factor for me. And, you know, again, like just add it to all the kind of points of crises. And I know that, you know, I'm ultimately privileged and I've got lots of great things going on in my life, but I kind of think about that sort of, you know, I was talking about that, that Gen X ADHD complex sort of thing there. You know, I think that just sort of added to it and and that whole imposter thing just magnified everything. Just everything was harder, right, with that running in the background of what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just do this? And I'm in the wrong business, need to get a J-O-B and all that. So, 
yeah, that was a, a game changer for me with with the diagnosis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now, okay, so so what led up to becoming an a business coach working specifically with executives? What was kind of the path that led you there? Well, I'd, I'd already decided that um, I, I'd kind of stumbled across, actually stumbled across coaching about 12 years ago and thought this is something that really, really resonates with me. I think I've got like an eight talent for it. Um, and so I actually started my coaching career out sort of doing in the career coaching space um, with some public sector clients who are sort of, you know, kind of that sort of middle management team leaders and all that. And it was great. It was fine. I, 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 I really enjoyed it. I know I was effective. I had the, the practice was sort of slowly but surely kind of growing, you know, with the word of mouth and so forth. I still had really young children, so it was only ever, you know, a part-time thing that I was, you know, um, doing at the time. But I noticed myself a little bit, uh, I'd leave the sessions feeling a little bit low of energy because my clients were ultimately working in systems and teams there was bureaucracy bureaucracy and I wasn't overly energized at the end of you know end of those coaching sessions and when I had someone reach out to me it said they had a business and could I kind of help them with xyz you know sort of actually just sort of with their thinking around stuff not that it was sort of you know strategy work at that point per se we started working together with some sessions and it was really, really obvious the difference of working with someone that designed the system, you know, designed their environment, made the calls rather than someone working within a system where the pace of our conversations were a lot slower. There were quite a few outside and obstacles for this person because they, you know, working in an environment as distinct from working with someone who creates their own environment, someone entrepreneurial with a business. I absolutely loved the pace of those conversations and the creativity that could occur in them. Now, again, I didn't know I had ADHD back then, but looking back, that makes so much sense. I still work with um, corporate clients. I've got some amazing clients that, you know, but um, I think that kind of knowing that uh, ultimately, we think about ideal clients in our businesses, right? I think they are my ultimate ideal clients. People have, that have that energy, that momentum, and the access to creativity and experimentation and trying things out and risk taking. You know, that's a, a a great session for me in terms of pace. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when I was working as a health coach long before my ADHD diagnosis, and I was working specifically with diet recovery and and binge eating recovery. So I'm pretty sure all of my clients had ADHD, not only because we were drawn to each other, and they were drawn to me and I was drawn to them. But I think just coaching as a modality, you know, it's so effective in terms of the accountability and like, you you know, some of the things you were talking about in terms of just like, the verbal processing and the thinking and 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 the, um, the, you know, working through steps, all of that is so effective for people with ADHD that I think even just without knowing it, being drawn to the coaching relationship. I'm not saying that everybody has ADHD who's coaching or, but I, I can see why people might be drawn to it, even if they're not undiagnosed. 
Yeah, interestingly, Katie, a few of those early sort of um, business-oriented clients, you know, once I came out with my ADHD, thought, wow, Annie, um, I think this is me too. And it's like, I'm not surprised at the energy and the brainstorming and that high-octane nature of our coaching engagement together and the momentum, um, it makes so much sense. Uh, You know, like the energy match, right? I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash womenADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash womenADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, you any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. I had mentioned uh, that there were, you know, some of the ways in which you've changed as a coach since your diagnosis in terms of like having a a VA and, and, you know, making sure that you've got the, that accountability I guess, what are some of the unique needs that your clients, uh, women with ADHD, face as um, executives or as entrepreneurs? Yeah. What I'm seeing in myself and I see in my clients is the emotional side of ADHD is a factor that we don't read enough about, you know, in terms of this feeling flooded, feeling reactive, 
then they're impacting decisions with, you know, kind of the relationships, management, and also sort of this overthinking part and this rumination. I think those are the two areas in particular that I see people, my, my particularly my female clients, coming to me with not realising that they're the issue, but actually that being the thing that we really actually spend a lot of time talking about is our capacity to pause and disrupt and then re reframe and pivot our responses in the way we're seeing things. And I think that's just a game changer if people are able to have that um, awareness about their, their brain and about their emotional state and have a bit more say in that, a bit more control in that, be in the driver's seat a bit more with that rather than it driving them. That's a really successful coaching engagement because it has such an impact on everything, particularly relationships, particularly even uh, productivity. So to have a little, you know, to, to have even a tweak in that can make kind of a demonstrable difference to how someone operates and how they feel about themselves and not like feeling out of control. So I think that emotional, that emotional side of things, emotional dysregulation, that rumination piece as well, like far often actually what end up sort of uh, working with people on. It can sometimes look like a marketing issue, a strategy problem at X, Y, Z, but actually it's the sort of these um, internal challenges that people aren't necessarily aware of what ends up being on the table and what we talk about the most and what we move towards fine-tuning. Yeah, yeah. I feel like 90% of my own personal self-coaching has been about reframing, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's been really about the, yeah, that same idea of just like understanding the value in what I always saw as a deficit and, and being able to kind of reframe and look at things from a new perspective as opposed to feeling like, the answer is out there somewhere that I haven't found yet, right? I think we sometimes buy into that a lot of the time. At least I did, you know, having read every self-help book out there <laughs> and always feeling like I was still looking for whatever that missing piece was and then having to realize like, no, it was the answer was in me all along, as the Wizard of Oz <laughs> says. Yeah, this is why I think a diagnosis is really, really important. Some people say, ah, oh, I think I have it, so I'm not going to bother there is something about that confirmation that we can actually, you know, like, you know, it's a rebuild and rework things and put put the sort of jigsaw back, you know, with the pieces fitting in <laughs> um, and, you know, to find some sort of resolution and solution, right? I mean, so many of us, you know, do life um, and we're, we're thinking that, you know, it's depression and anxiety, but actually it's that undiagnosed ADHD factor, right? We're not necessarily these depressed, you know, forever anxious. I mean, yeah, obviously that's symptomatic. But when we address the root cause, which often ADHD and inattentive ADHD in women is really hard to spot. It was certainly not spotted back in school, back in the day. That sort of thing was just people didn't know about, you know, the education system wasn't clued up about. Even the medical profession, you know, that whole how ADHD, that inattentive subtype, and particularly women, very, very hard to spot. And this is the thing, I also, even today, it's like I'm too successful or I'm doing too well to have ADHD, but this is this, you know, underperforming thing, right? I mean, I bet no one else was thinking, oh, she's underperforming, you know, looking at me, but I knew it. I just knew that I there were some certain, there were certain things that 
I found really, really difficult. And they weren't exactly hard things easy. They were easy, they were easy things. And that's yeah, even more difficult to get your head around is why can't I do something that's so easy? What's wrong with me? Right. Yeah, absolutely. In one of your blog posts, you had talked about the ADHD self-leadership pyramid. Can you explain the the self-leadership pyramid? I've found this really a great visual and a great tool. Yeah. Well, it's it's sort of, you know, influenced by Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I love that visual. It worked for me, so which is why I shared it. But it really uh, highlights the fundamental componentry we need to function. So the self-leadership pyramid is this, you know, it's a way of understanding the componentry that's important for us to to not only function but thrive. And so, you know, the bottom of the pyramid being, you know, what I call the deal makers, and that's the the eating, the hydration, the exercise, the sleep, the medication and community. And not necessarily medication for everyone, but that community piece being really, really important. I mean, there are people that come to me that want coaching and are doing sort of okay and, and, and wanting some sort of help with their business and so forth. And when we when we sort of start to drill down to looking at this pyramid and seeing what have they got in place right now, they're wondering why things are falling apart and these sort of the basics, these deal makers of eating and sleep and community even um, and, and so forth and medication for some people, that they're not even in place. And so it's a really good resource and reminder just to check in, you know, have I covered these off? Am I getting these things done? And I also think with ADHD, we just get so busy, we're on to the next thing and to the next thing to the next thing that we absolutely forget. We forget about these deal makers. You know, we don't have great memories. And so we can forget. <laughs> we can be hyper-focusing on something and so we don't take time out because we're just so enthralled in what we're doing. We forget to go toilet. We forget to eat, right? So there's that. But we can just forget that they're important. And um, I, I think Ned Hallowell talked in one of his, you know, videos and TikToks or something. It's, you know, often actually it's about remembering to remember. What do we need to remember about, you know, remember the important things? So, yeah, so at the very basis of our, you know, hierarchy of, you know, ADHD needs are those absolute basics. Are we getting those in place? And then, you know, even better if is what is ADHD to me? How does that play out uniquely to me? Uh, we know that, you know, there's obviously there's key symptoms, but what does that look like for me? Because we're all so unique. And so, yeah, insights into, you know, our emotional life, how our regulation or dysregulation, what triggers that? It's really just about unpacking who we are. And even, you know, as one of those skills to develop is like, how can I support myself? I put here self-coaching. Is is it writing? Does that help me? You know, if I'm a someone who's got like a... a, a in a written sort of processing kind of brain, making sure that, you know, I do that. How do I manage myself in, in, in relation to others? Really, really unpacking that self-awareness thing. You know, I've always said that who we really are is the one thing we own and the one thing that makes us different, owning it, being it, using it. And I think really the ADHD coaching piece is about knowing it and owning it. And then moving on to how do I be this more in the world? How do I use it more? 
really that's the strengths-based model, isn't it, Katie? I've heard you talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if, you know, again, at the top of the pyramid is of getting that support from the outside, which is not easy for many of us. And I've got in there ADHD coaching, therapy, accountability and support. There are things, of course, now which are fantastic, like Focusmate for that co-working, that body doubling aspect. You know, that's free up to three sessions a week. So that's great that there's that, that out there now. I know it's a little bit of different in the States than it is in New Zealand, but there's very few ADHD coaches in New Zealand and it's not uh, it's not cheap. Again, accessing therapy, um, even to see a psychiatrist in New Zealand, very, very difficult. We're working hard to change that now. But so, yeah, but I think even looking at the sort of, you know, the self-leadership pyramid, right? Like, what can I do to, you know, say that, I, that, con- that concept of no one's coming to save me. I can, you know, I do have you know control over these things and certainly the one at the bottom we do eating regularly hydration exercise medication obviously i say there it is about taking leadership of your own mental and physical well-being which is fundamental well i love the fact that you call them deal makers i've always called them non-negotiables and i think there's something what i love about the visual of the pyramid too is that i think we require the sort of acknowledgement of some of the importance of some of these things, right? Like there's certain things that are non-negotiables in our life, like sleeping and eating, but there's other things that we tend to forget are just as important or we're always kind of brushing off and, and not making our priority. And I think, you know, there's some things in that pyramid that I totally agree with in terms of movement and um, community support and medication where it's like, these things need to be, categorized as a non-negotiable in our life. And, and, and so it's like, then you're thinking about when you talk about the toolbox, like there's certain things that just have to be non, you don't even think about, like they just have to be no brainers um, in time, in terms of our treatment plan. Yeah. I think the mindset shift Katie to seeing that as absolutely non-negotiable, like it is for me to drink water and eat food like it is literally seeing it as absolutely critical. That was a real shift for me, even in the last 18 months, to see that exercise for me makes my day and can absolutely break it, and it does if I don't do it. And so when I start to see that as an absolute necessity for my survival and my well-being, I'm able to make it happen more. It's not just a nice to have like a always considered it and throughout my entire life it's great if I can fit it in it's not it's not great if you can fit it in it's absolutely critical I'm going through a phase of experimenting with not medicating and it's a deal breaker for me Mm, yeah right exactly and I think that's so well said I have the same relationship with exercise which is you know and I'm not talking about like going to the gym and doing you know um crossfit for six hours like i'm literally just talking about a half hour walk in the morning with my with my husband but it's really that idea of like it's critical like it's not it's not something that i is no longer in my i should or it would be nice if category it's the absolutely critical it's like coffee and i think that's been a huge shift for me too right and, 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 you know, what are some of those things that may be in the it would be nice if category that need to be put into the absolutely critical 
category. And the other thing I think is downtime, which is scheduling downtime has another thing that I've never done before in my life until after I was diagnosed, which was like, I realize how little priority I give rest because I have so much guilt around it, right? I have such ambivalence around rest. I feel like I always should be doing something. And yet I realize how important it is. And so I I have to schedule blocks of day or entire days where I'm like, this is not a work day. (laughs) Because, you know, and also being self employed, it's very easy to work seven days a week. And so like, that's been another like critical for me. Absolutely. And I, I actually, I mean, it's not fleshed out in here, but that sort of awareness of your, you know, ADHD DNA, you know, I think energy management is really, really important in that. It probably should be in that, you know, deal maker thing at the bottom. You know, it's reminded me maybe I think I'll you know, revisit that pyramid, Katie, because I do think that is something that we overlook, you know, because, especially because we have this capacity to be absolutely tunnel vision in something when we're in a hyper-focused sort of scenario and then wiped out. And then the adjacent thinking that comes with that what's wrong with me I can't cope and that but actually seeing that that energy management piece is really really huge for us and throughout the day and then throughout the week could look different but you know I know for me it's like (laughs) I took me ages to to realize that I could do it but um, scheduling buffer time in my online schedule like Calendly you know it's like an hour between calls Katie I would never even have considered that you know uh, I never considered it years ago or right up until recently it was it's but it's really really important that I don't go from session to session at all <laughs> so yeah and of course it's different for everyone but what are those things that give us energy and what are those things that drain us and uh, it's okay to you know take time out in fact it's not only okay it's critical like you say Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a client who calls those joints. And I just love that visual, like sort of joints, you know, just like in between bones, we need those joints. And so she talks about those time windows of like reflection or the transitional time periods um, that are so critical in terms of like, making sure you've done everything or just getting mentally prepared. She calls those joints. I find that's I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, right. But I think and that was some one of my theories about this time of my life, right? Like I'm, I'm about to turn 48. And one of the things that I think at this age might be a unique struggle for women with ADHD is that like, for the first time in my life, I am feeling like I'm feeling at my smartest. I'm feeling at my freest. I have so much like capability in terms of what I, you know, my kids are older, so I'm, I'm through that phase. Like it's a, you know, it's like you come to this phase of like rebirth almost as a woman when your kids are old enough that they are for the most part self-sufficient and you see all these, I see all of this potential and all these things I want to do. But at the same time, like you said, there's the energy management piece, which is like, I'm also older. So like there, you know, I do have issues with like estrogen and ADHD and that's a huge question mark. And then also, you know, I can't pull all-nighters. I can't drink like I used to. Like there's all sorts of things that I can't do anymore that I used to be able to do in my 20s. And so there's like a real grief around that. And I see that a lot with women my age, which is like, I want to be able to like catch up to all the emails and do all this. And, you know, it's like we have this internal energy, but also also feeling like often the answer is to do less. And like, how can I do less and still honor the desire to do all the things. The motor and the restlessness, right? 
Yeah. But also knowing that I've got to conserve what I do have. So, you know, what what am I choosing to put my attention on and put my energy into? It's just the intentionality because I actually don't have that, you know, forever reserves that, you know, we obviously had when we were 20 and we, there was no such thing as a hangover up until <laughs> a certain age. Remember the days? Yeah. So absolutely. Um, I just wanted to say one more thing about um, just the, the, the coaching piece and like where ADHD kind of intersects with entrepreneurship that I notice in a lot of my clients as well and that's this rejection sensitivity dysphoria right and how that massively impacts our ability to be visible to do you know marketing to do sales right and I I think it's you know something that's under considered as well and I've seen that for myself this RSD piece and again it's just part of this emotional kind of landscape this emotional dysregulation this sensitivity this you know kind of all that um and that one of the things I realized for me which is part of the redesigning how I do things is that I really really wanted to build a referrals based business because I thought yeah I can do all the kind of practice and, and and sort of courses on showing up and all that but at the end of the day I know my happy place is when I have people coming to me and saying hey maybe we could work together that is in terms of energy management one of the ways I manage my energy is not having to be so visible and show up not having to be on social media Katie every single day you know, even the idea of like throwing a post out that you know that there might be a bit of engagement with, you know, oh my God, I've got to go back to that. I've got to find time because I've got to get back to everyone and I've got to respond to every, like it's really understanding yourself and who you are and what's going to work for you. So yeah, I um, it's been a really, really good sort of awareness piece for me, understanding my the intersection of my ADHD with that side of business and reconfiguring things that work for me better. Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more about the social media piece. I feel like there's like I see that life cycle of the social, especially with the like ADHD influencer, just you know doing posting things like five times a day. I'm like that is not sustainable. That is not sustainable, and then eventually burning out. Yeah, it's probably an interest and a hyper focus area for them, and that's fantastic. But we're all different. But coming to terms with that and being okay with that, you know, that's been a journey as well. But I think it's really important for us to, again, it's this piece of who I am and knowing where do I want to put my energy in and what where's my energy best spent? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and realizing that that energy is, like you said, cyclical. So it's going to, you know, realizing that there are these patterns and seeing them and seeing the worth in all parts of the cycle. So that's another thing about reframing for me, which I've been able to really, you know, enjoy the hyper focus and enjoy all of the energy that I'll put into a new project, but also realizing that it's just as important for me to then have that rest and that there are recharging or, you know, and obviously it's not sustainable. So I, rather than feeling like I'm a terrible failure, because I couldn't keep it up with it, realizing that, you know, this is again, part of a cycle where I'm, I'm becoming more internal so that I can then think of whatever the next thing is going to be. And so that's been, I've so appreciate, I've had so much appreciation for that ability to have faith in the cycle. I can, I don't necessarily think I can see it as it's happening, but I at least have faith in it now. And, you know, my default isn't like I'm a terrible person. 
totally, you know, and reminders that part of the ADHD condition is this fluctuation. I've literally got reminders in my house, in my office here, up by the coffee machine. It's that, you know, accepting that, you know, this is a mercurial condition. It's going to be up and it's going to be down. And, you know, even asking myself the question on these notes, you know, are you in that? Are you in a cycle? Where are you at in the cycle? It's that, oh, right. It's that's that disruptor, that visual disruptor that's really powerful. So I don't sort of sink down into the, you know, the abyss of the that that sort of rumination. Having those visual reminders is really useful. Right. Yeah. I loved what you said earlier when you were like, it, you know, I've got all these things in my toolbox, but it still takes work to remember that the toolbox exists. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Basics. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates, so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. 
Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womeninadhd.com coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. So I feel like we've covered a lot of this, but what would you say you, you love most about your ADHD brain? I love my, I love my energy and I love my empathy. And I really am enjoying working with ADHD clients because like you were sort of saying before, there's an understanding and an energy match. I think when we are in that relationship where someone just gets us and we don't have to do any explaining, I really love being able to be in those relationships in that very generative way as we're moving towards goals and desires and, you know, addressing the, you know, the, the ADHD blocks and, and whatever that is and all the things that get in the way. But really, it's just having that awesome relationship with another human being that you just get, you know, it's this, when I joined the uh, the Facebook group, the New Zealand Facebook group for adults with ADHD, it's like, I'm with my people, you know, it's like, yes. I'm okay. I'm okay. I think that's the thing is like, I'm actually better than okay. I'm all right. You know, when I went on this six month intensive with my uh, ADHD coach who was from the States um, last year, it's like, yeah, I just actually began to like myself again. And I think that's what I love being able to have. It's a privilege to be in those relationships. So I love that empathy. And, uh, and of course, that energy as well. I do love my energy, although I've got to really conserve it. I think that's what I love most about my ADHD. I think the other thing too, Katie, is, you know, we've got this knack about seeing to the heart of the matter quite quickly. It can circumvent a lot of roundtable goddamn discussions. I could never be on a board. I've been on steering groups before. I found them the most frustrating things. Now I know why. And I do, I really appreciate that about sort of that ability to see that, that high perceptiveness Many of my clients possess that, and and I just think it's a, a wonderful strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, who was the ADHD coach that you worked with? Cameron Gott. Oh, okay. Um, Translating ADHD podcast. Do you know him? Of course. I mean, I've never met him, but I definitely know him and his wonderful podcast. So, oh, that's great. Shout out to Cameron Gott. Yeah, and his uh, podcast partner, Shelley Collins. Great podcast. Because at the time, I mean, we look at such an ADHD sort of coaching and therapy as in its infancy in New Zealand. And when I went to look to work with an ADHD coach, there were some coaches here, but mainly teens and parenting. I was really wanting that professional aspect, that executive ADHD coach. And so, yeah, and Cam was just, you know, Cameron was brilliant. And if whoever's listening to this, check out, you know, obviously Women in ADHD is a fantastic podcast. It's good to sort of, you know, different perspectives and different ways. And Translating ADHD is another great podcast too. I agree. Yeah, we actually talk a lot about that one in the um, in the online community, the Women in ADHD online community. It's a very popular podcast. Uh, and uh, yes, there's plenty of, oh my goodness, I'd love to promote all of the ADHD podcasts. You can never have enough. Because, <laughs> you know, I understand the life cycle of, a, of my podcast too, which is people come in, they get really excited, they listen to a bunch of episodes, and then they forget my podcast exists. And I'm like, that's fine. I get it. Nobody's going to listen to them all. Katie, I've got a question. What do you love most about your ADHD? Oh, gosh. Great question. Thanks. Uh, I think the thing I love most about my ADHD is my desire to 
know the why behind so many things. I think, you know, it's the questioning of, like we've been talking about, like, what is the root of some of this issue? I'm just very inquisitive. And I think that I don't have any pride around not knowing the answer and and always looking for the answer. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm a seeker. I like that uh, about myself, even though it can be frustrating, because I'm like, what are we, you know, sometimes I'm like, I'll never get the answer. And I'll never quite understand what we're actually talking about. But I, I do feel like I I love the journey of seeking. And, you know, and I was going to ask you about your kids, too, because I feel like one of the things I really appreciate about my diagnosis is how I felt like it's made me such a better parent to my children. And I feel like we're just like on the same team. I feel much closer to my children now than I did before. And so I just was curious if you had a how your you feel like your relationship with your kids has changed, if at all. I think I've, because I'm, you know, a highly empathic person and I've got a really great connection with my children, I always have. Here's the thing, right, and it was one of the things actually I was thinking about before we hopped on this chat. It has been really, really difficult parenting children who are ADHD. As someone, as a parent who has ADHD and who doesn't know they have ADHD, Mm -hmm so incredibly bloody difficult. So I think because it's in the room now and we know it's here, my daughter's formally diagnosed with ADHD. She was at the beginning of this year. My youngest, still not, but we know it's highly likely it's, you know, there for him. My oldest, probably not so much, but certainly I think two out of my three children. It is that, okay, that's what that is. It's, you know, like you were saying about the why, it's like wanting to know why, that kind of incessant curiosity and that sort of, you know, if two of them get locked in and the sibling rivalry and unable to back down and really triggering each other, especially with my daughter, actually, my youngest, they're the one that actually have the trickiest relationship and the other ones, or certainly my daughter has ADHD um, and my youngest son is highly likely has it. It's like, oh, okay, that's what that is. This is like appreciating that they've got those challenges in the picture, particularly around emotional dysregulation and then bringing mine in. So it's like, okay, maybe I can't control them, but I can control mine and have some impact on how I respond to this, even if I need to walk away and have time out because I am so incredibly flooded. I will now, whereas previously I didn't. And it would just be Mount Vesuvius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's been good. Uh, but then I think as someone with ADHD, parenting a child with ADHD absolutely comes with a subset of extraordinary challenges, but also opportunities for change, particularly knowing if that's what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't want to paint it like it's wonderful or like it's there's no challenges because parenting is always difficult. No matter what age they are, it's always challenging. <laughs> but I think I think one of the things that I have appreciated the most as a mother is just feeling like I'm not a terrible mother, you know, and I think that was something that I felt like before my diagnosis was I just thought I was a shit mom and I and I don't feel that way anymore. So I mean, I have gratitude for that. I have challenges, absolutely, but do I feel like I'm terrible at things? Uh, there's a difference there. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's like absolutely love my children. I've got a great connection with all of them. I think I've got really good relationships with my kids. And yet the job of parenting, like realizing ah, they're just low interest, low dopamine activities and jobs for me, 
oh my no wonder I've struggled and I think my mother my you know my late mother you know I think she used to think I wasn't committed a committed enough mum now I can see it's not about commitment it's this other quite significant factor I don't love them it just means to say I maybe need to approach the job of parenting Katie a little bit differently Mm -hmm. yeah well said now if you could rename ADHD to something else would you call it something else well, I actually, I'm going to borrow our Indigenous people, um, the Māori. They've got a wonderful phrase for ADHD, and it's tini, and it means attention goes to many things. And I think that's just such a really accurate description, the attention going to many things rather than not having enough of it. We don't have a deficit. <laughs> We've got too much. I just think that's a really, it's it's not loaded, it's not super medicalized, it's not pathologized, it's just a, yeah, that's what it is, attention goes to many things. So yeah, that would be, I'd probably say, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd borrow that from them, the Māori term, me. Beautiful. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much. This has been really wonderful, Annie. How can people find you and uh, and work with you? I know you're doing a you do the you have a group program, right? The ADHD Advantage group program. Yeah. Well, due to COVID, um, we've had to shelve that this side of Christmas. My colleague had lingering COVID issues, so we've had to put that on hold. But we'll be offering it in the new year, and obviously one on one. But I'm on LinkedIn, my website, narimanas.com, and, and all those, and mo- most of the places. So, yeah, pe- I'm pretty visible online, even though I don't sh- show up that much. <laughs> oh, yeah, your website is wonderful. And I had such a wonderful time looking back over your blog posts, too. So <laughs> there's a real wealth of um, wonderful resource there. Uh, so, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. And uh, so I'll have links to that in the show notes. But, yeah, it's been really wonderful hearing your story. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show, Katie. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com slash coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.